Episode 298 of the Biz Talk with Bill Roy podcast. The Wichita Business Journal created this podcast because we want to provide you with some insight into the people, places, companies, organizations, and issues that are important to Wichita's business community. I'm Managing Editor Kirk Seminoff. The Kansas Family Business Forum has been active at Wichita State University for almost three full decades, helping family businesses of all sizes grow and prosper. This year, the Forum welcomes a new director. Lance Miner joins me on this week's podcast to talk about the KFBF, what his goals are for the organization, and his long and winding path to the job of director. Spoiler alert, it includes beer. But first, let me tell you about the weekly edition of the Wichita Business Journal. This week's cover story looks at an advocacy organization trying to make biking and walking easier than Wichita. BikeWalk Wichita has a new downtown headquarters that it hopes will lead to greater exposure and more Wichitans hitting the streets, sidewalks, and paths. Josh Witt's cover story begins on page 12. This week's list is fundraising events. See what the city's largest fundraising events are, located on page 8. This month, our Women Who Lead series looks at women who lead in professional services. Meet these outstanding professionals beginning on page 25. Part of our mission is to help small and medium-sized businesses grow. One way we try to accomplish that is through our weekly leads section. We list bankruptcies, new real estate deals, building permits, new corporations, who owes back taxes, and court judgments. Our lead section this week begins on page 38. Equity Bank means business. That's why they've created business solutions to help you solve your business challenges. Visit them today at equitybank.com. Lance Miner is the new director of Wichita State University's Family Business Forum, which does exactly what it sounds like it does. It acts as a resource for small family businesses in Wichita and around the state. Lance, thank you for joining me. Hey, thank you, Kurt. Appreciate you making time for me. Before we talk about the Family Business Forum and and you starting there, let's get to know you a bit. You've done a lot of things in your professional career, but let's start here. You're from Wichita originally. That's true. Where did you grow up and what did you do as a kid? Oh man, I was uh, I was one of those typical Kansas kids, you know, roaming the neighborhoods, riding bikes. But I was uh, I graduated from East High, so I was uh, kind of grew up here in the center part of the town. Um, shoot, I lived nine houses down from Sunnyside Elementary, which is now an apartment complex. So it's amazing how our our city has evolved. So um, yeah, joined the Marine Corps about eighteen and left town and thought I would never come back. And here I am, many decades later. And uh, you know, I'm a an avid champion of our community. Why did you join the Marines? Uh, you know, I was always, I, I think if I, if, to be honest, I remember watching cartoons on Saturday mornings uh, between Thundercats and Transformers. I would see these commercials for the Marine Corps and, you know, the, they were looking for a few good men. And I was always kind of intrigued by it. Uh, Rambo, the movie Rambo had come out when I was a kid. So I was all about the sneak around the woods and camouflage and stuff like that. And I, and I was the youngest of seven with lots of, ne- lots of nephews and nieces. So as I, I was always leading, even as a young child. So leading and, and building consensus among different people was kind of natural to me. So I joined the Marine Corps and ended up liking it and served 21 years. And so I, was, I started off in the infantry. I recognized quickly that if I was going to be a, a career, career-minded, I was, my body wasn't going to sustain all that abuse. So I eventually, I, after my, my first enlistment, I trans. I changed jobs and became a 
operations and mobility planner. So I was planning, put together plans on how to move people and equipment all around the world. So it's a pretty cool job. Uh, so yeah, you, you, you traveled the world and, yeah. uh, did a lot of different things. Why did you decide to stay in so long? You know, I had, a uh, I got my girlfriend at the time we got, I had a young, young baby early and then got married and we just enjoyed it. It was, it was a good life. Um, we got to see and travel a lot. Uh, we lived in, lived in Hawaii and Miami, Traveled. I got to travel throughout Central America, South America, and the Caribbean. We lived in Japan, um, so it was really a cool job to have to travel the world. Our kids were going to good schools. They enjoyed the the different, the exciting lifestyle. They met so many different people. My daughters are very um, well adjusted and kind of worldly in the sense that they've ex- seen and experienced a lot of things that your typical kids may not get to experience if they never leave hometown their hometown. So yeah, it was just kind of, it, it worked real well. My wife, Mary, um, she's my former wife. Now I don't call her my ex-wife cause we were still great friends. Um, but you know, she, she liked it. We got to, um, she shopped in a lot of cool places and got a lot of cool stuff from different countries. And, uh, she actually developed a really strong network of friends as well that were all, you know, within, in the same lifestyle, you know, mm-hmm. Marine wives and traveling. And so it was just a really great community to be a part of. Uh, so you're in 21 years. When when did you leave the Marines and, and why at that point? Um, you know, was, I was uh, I'd hit 21 years. I had been promoted and was kind of coming up on uh, the next promotion. And I knew that my kids were graduating high school. I had the aspiration to run my own company and I was tired of working for other people. And it just kind of made sense. Um, I had actually wanted to be a university professor. So I was actually a director of one of the leadership academies in Hawaii. I was teaching for Hawaii Pacific University with the intention of being a university professor. So I started my PhD at the University of Hawaii. And uh, then I got orders to go to Afghanistan for 10 months, which was exciting and interesting. And uh, But when I came back, my I was just kind of burnt out on school. And I got this idea that I, the beer scene in Wichita was kind of underdeveloped at the time, Wichita Brewing Company had a small location going on. And um, so I wanted to open a brewery in Wichita, which we did. I was the CEO and founder of Aeroplanes Brewing. And uh, we ran a solid, successful business for about five years. We were in a delicate spot right before COVID hit. Um, I was going to buy out, find some people to buy out a few of my investors that I wasn't necessarily getting along well with. And um, COVID hit. And it was just one of those things that we had to, had to close the company. It was, what, it was a hard thing to do. So you started Aeroplanes in the mid-2010s. Um, I'm curious, you know, you, you said you lived in Japan, Hawaii, Miami, a lot of, lot of great spots. Why the desire to get back to Kansas? Oh, that's an easy question. Easy answer is, of all those places I lived, Wichita had all of the things that I loved about those places, which I had great food, which I had great, I mean, which I had great entertainment. We have a, an amazing um, network of, of, inter, of, of entrepreneurs, business owners, uh, in terms of that create good restaurants. Uh, were, you could get anywhere in 15 minutes where before when I was living in San Diego, it was an hour and a half to work and sometimes two hours home in the, in the car. So uh, small town, Wichita seemed a lot better 
than Miami or San Diego or um, even I lived in Charleston, South Carolina too. And even that seemed like a kind of a small town, but it had grown so much too. So, um, and then it helps that I'm the youngest of seven and I had lots of family here. And so um, it just made sense to come home. Mm-hmm. When you started aeroplanes, were you a complete novice to the beer scene or just kind of tell me your experience level at that? <sighs> oh, you know, I worked with, I knew I, I had been a avid home brewer, won quite a few home brewing awards. And um, I came home for my, one of my, my older sisters had passed away. I came home for her funeral and my, I had brought some beer home and my nephews were like, dude, this beer is amazing. You just uh, you should sell this. And every home brewer hears that and they like to hear it. So I took a healthy dose of skepticism, but then dug deeper, became a beer judge, a BJCP beer judge. And, um, and then I started working at a brewery in Temecula, California called black market brewing company. And I did a kind of an extended internship with them. The Marine Corps paid me to go do this. It was kind of cool as a transitioning program that they had. And then, um, came home and yeah, I, I, I was, and when I look back on it now, yeah, compared to the quality of brewers that we have in town now, uh, I was had high aspirations, but I quickly realized that my brewing probably wasn't as good as it needed to be. That's why we hired, we hired another brewer who came in and helped really uh, improve on what we already had going. So it was, it was good. So does that answer your question? That that does. And I'm also curious about your your business acumen as as you were in the Marines and, and kind of figured you wanted to start a business. Sure. Uh, did you have it all or did you find that early on I, as a business I, owner? I was a planner in the Marine Corps. So uh-huh. a lot of the same. Right. What I found out is as I started digging into the business planning and business management content, uh, I have a master's degree in English. And uh, and undergrad degree, undergrad degrees in English and education. And so, uh, as I was digging into this business, the business content, I found that a lot of it aligned well with the planning practice that I had been doing for 17, 18 years at that point. So it it, it was a natural fit. And then, uh, as I was writing my business plan, I was sharing it with people, and um, many of them, several, probably five or six of the of the business mentors that I found commented on, wow, man, Lance, this is an amazing business plan. What? And when I told them that I had never taken a business class, they, they were impressed. Uh, and, but also they were, they were sold by the content and the quality of the product that I had put together. And it helped me raise $700,000 to build aeroplanes. So it was, there was my, yeah, I never took a business class, but I don't, I, and having closed aeroplanes, uh, I toy with the notion of the idea of failed businesses versus a business that just experienced circumstances that we couldn't control. You know, it's been a struggle. I'll tell you right now, I was happy to go into quarantine at that point. Cause it, I, there was a lot of, it's hard to do that, to go through closing your business, something that you're so committed to um, you've invested so much time, attention, emotion into it, and then to have to, to close it. So I was happy to kind of go into quarantine and just lick my wounds and reflect on things. Um, so, and, and then at some point during quarantine, you started at Wichita state, what were you doing there? And then you, you started at the smart factory at Deloitte. Yeah. So I, the, the writing was kind of on the wall with uh, the brewery. I kind of knew the direction things were going. Um, like I said, I had four different groups I was talking to, uh, to reinvest in aeroplanes and kind of to help sustain it. And 
while I was doing that, I fell back into higher education. I, I started working for the, sh- the Shocker Career Accelerator. And I just, I've, I have strong business connections in the community. And so they were looking for somebody to help build out this business model of creating opportunities for students to earn while they learn at the same time, um, generating revenue through that relationship that you to build with industry partners. And I was a good person to, to help carry that forward. I had a lot of connections in town with different businesses. I had a background in education already. So it was like a blending of these two worlds that I had created and I really enjoyed it. Um, Deloitte happened to be one of my clients. I was helping place students with Deloitte at the smart factory and they were looking for some people on site here in Wichita. Um, a couple of different people referred me, um, went through the recruitment process with them. And they, I interviewed for one job that I really was excited about. They gave that to someone else and they offered me a different role. I took it with an open mind. Um, but then I realized that it wasn't the right fit for me. I'm, you know, we're, I felt like I was doing everything left-handed. So um, I love the people, love the projects, but it just didn't fit well. And I had this kind of epiphany. I was sitting at Little Saigon with a buddy of mine having lunch. And I'm looking around the restaurant at all of these familiar faces. And, and I'd been kind of buttoned up just at the Smart Factory doing that job for eight months. And uh, everybody's waving at me. Hey, Lance. Hey, wait, what's going on? What's going on with you? And all of, I just realized that all these connections that I had were still there. And it was one of the most valuable assets that I had developed over the years running aeroplanes was the relationships. And so I just had this moment of clarity where I'm like, man, I love my city so much. And I'm working for a company that they're, they're bringing good things to Wichita, but they're not, they're not in Wichita the way I want to be. And the role I was in wasn't, didn't allow that either. So I, a couple of days later resigned without even, without even uh, another job lined up and two or three people forwarded me the, the job descriptions for this, this role and a couple other here on campus. And I read the direct description for the family Kansas family business forum, the director of the, and I was, I was sold. It was like, this is what I should be doing. I grew up cleaning apartments, painting and power washing apartments with my sister's business. And I grew in a, and then in high school, I was cutting sheet metal and hanging duck for my brother. My, my family has had family owned businesses all along the way. And I, I cut my teeth in that environment. I learned my work ethic in, from that. And I, and to be honest, I mean, can't, I mean, family businesses are the foundation for Wichita in a lot of ways. Um, all of, you know, think about Coleman and beach and all of these major companies, they grew from family businesses. So if we can create a healthy environment for other businesses to, to grow through those awkward phases and do good things and help them succeed, man, that's, that's what I want to do. And having closed my own family business, I have a deep empathy for the challenges that they face too. So I'm, I'm excited and grateful to be in this seat right now. I was going to ask if you had used the family business forum before, but, and you hadn't, but you had your own experiences growing up and, you know, working with your siblings businesses sure. so that, that does count. You know, KFBF has been around for 30 years. Can you, yeah. for people who might not have ever come across it, t- talk a little bit about what it does and how it does it. Yeah. So 27 years is kind of the, I think that's the mile mark we're at right now. And uh, so AGH and Intrust uh, have been founding grantor partners from the beginning. Um, we brought in some other partners too, Martin Pringle, um, Iron Insurance Partners, and of course, the Wichita Business Journal is, is a partner of ours. Um, and so the goal is to create an opportunity um, for family businesses to really uh, 
support one another. That's a big part of it. In fact, as I've in the six weeks that I've been in this role, one of the most important aspect that I've seen is the sense of community that they develop among the, the members. Um, but the goal is to help. It started off to help those our par- partners connect with family-owned businesses to help them provide services that will help those businesses succeed. Uh, succession planning was a huge part of that. But we found out that the KFBF can provide substance, meaningful, valuable content across the whole spectrum of the life cycle of businesses. And it doesn't mean, so if, so if a family-owned business has a 13-year-old uh, son or daughter who is eventually going to come over and take over the business, that time goes fast. And so if that, if that business is being mindful and using what we offer in terms of as, a, as the Kansas Family Business Forum, they're, it's, it's going to help. Um, and they will, and then as that young, as their, their offspring grows up and gets to the point where they can start attending some of our programming, we've got a thing called Fambition, which is a two-year program that allows those next generation uh, business, potential business owners to really learn what it means to be not only in business, but specifically to be in a family business. It's because, you know, there's, so that's kind of, that's wave top explanation. Is that helpful? Mm-hmm. Or should sure. I elaborate more? Sure. No, that's great. Um, You know, family businesses, I think 98% of the time are are defined as, you know, obviously, I guess by definition, it's two family members owning a business. That's what defines a family business. Sure. But I, and I would guess that most of your membership falls into the small business category, right? Less than 500 employees. Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the stipulations to join our members, our forum is to be doing at least a million in sales, annual sales, and have 10 employees. Now, Star Lumber, JR Customs, they have been legacy members since the beginning, um, upwards of 400 members in their in their companies or employees in their companies. So, um, yeah, the, it runs the gamut. Uh, but one of the things I'm looking at as the new director is how do we, are those parameters still helpful? How can we stretch that or modify it in order to truly touch or get in touch with those family members who will get the most out of what we do? Um, the great, my, I tell you, my mission, I'm a military-minded person and I function, I'm a mission-oriented individual. And the mission of the family, Kansas Family Business Forum is to grow family businesses to make a positive economic impact in our community and beyond. So um, if, if, if a company is doing 2 million in sales, but they only have three family members working and three employees. Why shouldn't they be members just because they don't have 10? Um, but again, it's, they, it has to be the right fit. We haven't changed the, the parameters or those, the uh, guidelines for membership yet, but I'm looking at that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm cu- curious about how do we, disruption is part of growth. So I have a, disrupt, a disruptive mindset as well as I approach this. So. That I did not know about the minimum of 10 employees. I kind of wondered how many of these were, you know, for lack of a better term, mom and pop businesses. Mm-hmm. But there, that is interesting that you do have to have 10 employees. I'm not sure how many businesses that that is keeping out of your membership right now. And, you know, I, I've six weeks on, on deck here, so I don't necessarily know yet either. Yeah, that's true. I can understand what are the most common needs for family businesses when they when they seek guidance or or support from KFBF? 
I think that's a great question. And I will take you to kind of the fundamentals of family business planning is understanding that there are the three circles is what they call it. Understanding the ownership, understanding the business, and then understanding the family itself. And those three circles are kind of like a Venn, Venn diagram. And the bet, I think the most important for family owned, for members of a family owned business is to understand the roles that fit into each of those three circles and how they need to change their way of thinking and the way of communicating when they are, depending on which circle they're operating in. So ownership, you're going to have different kinds of conversations when you're talking about the ownership of the, of the company. When you are sitting, if you're acting as, a, as an existing board member within your company, you've got the ownership, you might have the board of directors, and then you have the, the managing members. And one person might serve all, have a hat, three, all three hats. And depending on which function they're, they're, they're performing, we'll have to have a different mindset as well. Mm-hmm. Shift over to the business management. You're going to be working the business. but And then if you've got family members that are working in the business, you're going to communicate differently when you are at business, you know, doing business. And when you're at home, my daughter worked for me at Aeroplane. She was my office manager and she was my tasting room manager. You know, it's real. It's kind of weird when you look over and your daughter is, hey, Lance, calling me by my first name for a while. And it was, I was like, that's, but yeah, she understood there's a time and place when she was Macy and I'm Lance and I'm dad and she's the daughter, you know, uh, that that's a simple explanation for the dynamic. But now think about it in when you've got 17 employees that happen to all be family members as well. That, ha- you know, there are, there are instances that in our forum. So does that answer your question? That's one, that's, I think that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. The other thing is time. Time is the other thing that I think is crucially important for family-owned businesses to understand um, timing of things, timing of the education of the next generation, timing of transition, um, timing of recognizing that transition is far off, but you still need to be engaged and, and tackling challenges as a family-owned business, not just as a business. Mm-hmm. You have briefly touched on support from longtime members and, you know, support from member to member, not just from the form itself. Uh, How important is that? And is that, is that a key to success for the, for the forum? You bet. We have two major kind of programming initiatives that help facilitate this. One is we have executive breakfasts every month. It's in the morning. Anybody from, you know, particularly it's the CEOs or leadership within their, the organizations, they come, they have breakfast. We have uh, scheduled programming, that addresses timely and topical needs um, that are relevant. And uh, for example, we just had Doug Stuckey, who's works uh, here at the um, the office the office of uh, innovation and design. He at the Central for Entrepreneurship, he's presented the first part of tackling change. What does change look like, and how do you how do you approach change in a, in effective way? So Doug presenting on that. The other thing we do is personal advisory groups, and we have it broken up into two groups: the CEOs and the next gen, and they get together, there is a line of, of separation between them. Our facilitators in one org- in one PAG doesn't talk, they don't talk to the others. So the conversations that happen in those advisory groups are, com- are compartmentalized so that there is uh, privacy and, and, uh, and they can speak confidently about the, t- the troubles or the challenges they're, they're dealing with in there. And their peers are providing feedback as well as our mentors who are in the PAGs with them. So I, I sat in, I got to sit in both of these initially uh, with an understanding that, you know, one does not cross the other. 
and so, but the, it was, I was just amazed at the, that interpersonal communication that was going on, the vulnerability that our leader, our, the leaders, as well as the next generation were sharing with one another. Um, the insight, just the, just the business insight from one, we got guys like Chris Goble who have been members for 27 years who are running very successful you know, internet, inter, uh, uh, you know, multi-state operations have grown from something small into that, but sharing their wisdom with kind of mom and pop members in our room, in the room and, and then vice versa. Chris being willing to answer, ask the question and listen to the advice from the other members going, that's a great idea. I can't wait to go back and talk to my team about that. Uh, so yeah, the communication, the PAGs and the executive breakfasts are awesome for that. I, I know, like you mentioned, you're six weeks on the job, but does an organization like this have to adjust what it does with the times much like businesses do? And I'm, I'm, I'm asking, especially COVID and post-COVID. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, that is, um, I got to give a shout out to Nancy Kersenbach. She was, she's been the director of this uh, for seven years uh, and with COVID and all the different things going on um, within the Center for Entrepreneurship, uh, there was downsizing and a lot of the duties and responsibilities shifted from many people to Nancy. And so she is an amazing human being, an amazing business mind. And I am very fortunate to have been following in her footsteps. She was running the, Can the Kansas Family Business Forum on 25% of her time. So, uh, and, and it was flourishing. So, but every, just like our, our family, our, our members, every organization goes through a life cycle. And you can imagine after 27 years, the KFBF, we're, we're in a position of, of transition. And so, yes, we have to change with, with technology. We have to change with the way the world has changed after COVID. I mean, I was working at the Smart Factory and, and talking to major corporations coming through the Smart Factory, looking at industry 4.0 technology, you know, uh, shifts in, in, in not only how we, be, how we do business, but why we do things certain way was one of those big questions. Exploring the art of the possible. And so that's what the KFBF is doing too. We're exploring the art of the possible. We're looking at how to change things. Um, even at the Center for Entrepreneurship here, we have a, a small business digital transformation program where businesses can come sign up and go through a four-week program and to examine and put together a digital transformation plan. And if they do, if they come through the program, there's grant money that is available. We get 10 grand to go implement that, that plan. That's a huge thing. And so the Kansas Family Business Forum is side by side with those initiatives. And we are, our members can take advantage of that. We are bringing in international uh, motivation and business speaker who talks specifically on super creativity, a guy named James Taylor, not the musician, James Taylor in his own right. Um, and he's coming in on April 4th to talk about super creativity and the power of disruptive thinking uh, to, to adapt to change. And so looking, really looking forward to that. So, um, that's the no, KFBF that, has I, to evolve. I know that's something we want to write about as we get closer to April. What is the best way for an owner of a family business to get in touch with you or the KFBF and, and maybe get a slice of, of what you all do? Yeah, I think the easiest thing is to go to wichita.edu backslash KFBF, uh, easy website, KFBF Kansas Family Business Forum. The other thing is to email me directly, lance.minor at wichita.edu. Um, Google Kansas Family Business Forum, you'll find it. Uh, reach out to me. One of my, there's kind of three pillars that I have in mind right now for what I'm going embarking upon. One is to motivate our current members, 
But the second thing is to grow our membership. And so that means um, reaching out and kind of connecting with using my connections as well as the networking opportunities that we have uh, within this town, within our town uh, to grow membership. But we don't want just anybody and ever just, I mean, really there, we, it's a, it's a double-edged sword in the sense that we want to help as many family-owned businesses as we can, but they have to be the ones to take the initiative to come to us in a lot of senses, because that demonstrates to me, they're almost pre-qualifying themselves. And I know that if they're, if they have the right mindset and, and motivation level, they're going to get the most out of the program. If they're coming into this program with reticence or hesitation, and then they don't show up to the meetings, to the, to the, the gatherings we have, whether it's PAGs or executive breakfasts, or they're, they're, they're going to get what they put into it. And so I'm really looking for those type of people who have creative, diverse thinking and strategy in the way they, they operate. They're going to bring value to other, um, other members too. So just like those PAGs, everybody's talking, well, what they bring to the table is just as important as what they take away. Mm-hmm. Well, Lance, good luck to you as you get in gear after six weeks. And uh, we look forward to seeing how the organization adapts and grows. And we'll be interested to write about what's going on in April as well. So thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for Biz Talk with Bill Roy this week, episode 298. Check out all our podcast episodes at our Biz Talk with Bill Roy hub. It's at wichitabusinessjournal.com. Thank you for listening and subscribing. Biz Talk with Bill Roy is a production of the Wichita Business Journal. Thanks very much to our sponsor, Equity Bank. Creating the business concept turned out to be the easy part. The challenges that follow is where Equity Bank comes in. Equity Bank was built by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Let them help your business evolve and solve your challenges. Tomorrow is here. Visit them today at equitybank.com forward slash evolve. Be well and be safe. Have a profitable week.